Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. A little different than normal. Usually there is an offertory going uh, while we pass the offering. Instead, I'm going to sing a solo for the next 25 minutes. That would be the best way to shrink our church would be for me to sing. Um, there's a reason I stand in the front row and sing. Um, before we jump into where we're going to go during Advent, let me just say something real quickly. Um, uh, we don't often address current issues in the uh, gathered space, although we, we know that we bring that with us when we come to worship, right? Um, we, uh, we bring our lives, we bring the world in, and um, huge issue the last couple weeks coming out of stuff that happened in Ferguson um, around racial tension. And I, I just want to say this. We are part of a denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, which has done a, uh, a really beautiful job of leaning into racial reconciliation. And I would encourage you to go to the Evangelical Covenant Church website, some of the resources there. Um, the president of our denomination, Gary Walter, wrote a brilliant, brilliant letter um, that I would encourage you to check out as well. Um, but this is a place where our denomination and we as followers of Jesus can live out a different story. Um, we can listen, we can hear, we can understand in some re really uh, profound ways. So uh, that's that. Uh, I encourage us to, to do that well, to be God's people well, living out hope in that place. So uh, before we jump in, we're taking a break from wayfinding. We're going to do a series called Advent Conspiracy. We did a series called Advent Conspiracy last year. And uh, we, as long as I'm around here, we'll do it every year because we want the uh, Christmas story, the story of Jesus, to be lived out differently by followers of Jesus. Last year we took Advent Conspiracy, which is a series that a lot of people are doing around the U.S. and around the world, and we looked at the four values, which are worship fully, um, give more, spend less, love all, um, and tried to think about what does that mean for us, and each year we'll approach in a different way. This year what we're going to do is we're going to take the lectionary epistles. Did that make sense to anybody? Lectionary epistles. A couple of you know what the word lectionary means. Lectionary is simply, it's a tool that some churches and churches within our tradition use to go through Scripture. So in the course of three years, you would go from the beginning to end of Scripture, and each Sunday you would have an Old Testament passage, a gospel, an epistle, and then a psalm or proverb. And what we're going to do just during Advent is take the lectionary epistles. In other words, Paul's writings and look at them and we understand that we're thinking about Advent and the very word Advent has this idea that you're looking forward to something. It's from the Latin Adventists that they were looking forward to the second coming and we understand it's Christmas time but we know Jesus came, right? It's not as though Christmas Eve comes and we're wondering, did Jesus really come or not? What's going to happen? Jesus came. We celebrate that. That is a, a beautiful, the incarnation of, of Jesus is huge but we on this side we think about the second coming. What does it mean for us to think about the tension of living in the here and now but hoping for something better, just like in the first century they were hoping for Messiah? And that's how we're going to sit into it as we go through this series. This week, 1 Corinthians 1, 3-9, through 9, we're going to talk about the idea of waiting. Um, I know you all are just great at waiting for things, whether it's easy or hard, and you don't need this message, so it's simply for me. Um, Yesterday afternoon, I was sitting on the couch, and I was mind mapping my uh, message, just sort of trying to put it out and, and uh, look at it. And my nine-year-old daughter, Trinity, decided to come next to me, and I had it laid out, you know, circles all around. And she brought in some paper and sat next to me and started copying everything that I was writing. 
So if I faint during this message, we'll call Trinity. She'll come up and finish the message. She knows it well. And I I was talking to her about the idea of waiting. If you think about it, especially if you're a a kid in this room, waiting is hard, right? Like if you're a a kid, you're waiting for Christmas morning because mom and dad have the presents already hidden away somewhere. They haven't told you, but they are hidden away. It's probably in the closet, by the way. Go ahead and check that out. Sorry, parents. But kids, I mean, think about you go on a trip and... It's a 15-hour trip. How long does it take for your kids to ask, when will we get there? About 15 minutes. Like waiting is just, it's it's, it's a challenge. In the last week, think about how many lines you've waited in shopping. One of of my real struggles in life that I think God will eventually do a work on my soul is waiting in traffic. When I lived up in the cities, you'd have to wait on 494 with hundreds of cars. Now I get mad when there's four cars in my way. Like that angers me because I'm going to have to wait an extra 17 seconds in my life. Waiting's just hard. We struggle with it. I grew up in a, a fairly conservative Christian tradition. In that tradition, you would go to Christian college. And when you got done of Christian college, generally, generally the summer after you were done, you were engaged in either getting married or on your way to getting married. I wasn't one of those people, and we, that's a whole nother discussion why it didn't happen that quickly for me, but I didn't get married until my late 20s, and that, I mean, that's a hard wait. It's hard to wait and do the right thing. It's, all right, am I ever going to find the right person? And, you know, all these different things that go into that, we just struggle to wait. Think about what you're waiting for. In this room, at this moment, honest with your story, what are you waiting for? Some of you are waiting for a job to come along. You lost your job, you're waiting for the next one to come along. Some of you are waiting for your first child. Struggling with infertility, that whole journey, you're waiting. Some of you, on the other end of the spectrum, are waiting for your adult child to come back to God, right? Some of you are waiting for a relationship to be restored. We wait, some of you are waiting for health issues to hopefully be resolved or to find out a test result. We all live in this land where consistently we're waiting. So what, what I want to start us with is to be honest with that. Everybody in this room is waiting for something, is my guess. And so take this line here, don't say it out loud, say it in your, your heart and your head. What are you waiting for? God, I'm waiting for this. Name it, own into it, lean into it. Maybe you need to write it down. You've been afraid to say, you've been afraid to admit it. What are you waiting for? And if we're truly honest, waiting's tough. I often feel like the psalmist in Psalm 119 where where it says this, I am worn out waiting for your rescue. But I've put my hope in your word. My eyes are straining to see your promises come true. When will you comfort me? A lot of you feel that way, right? You're waiting for that thing to happen, that thing to be resolved, and you're just tired. You're worn out. You're wondering where God is. You're wondering what is up. And before we jump into the text, I want to name two realities that we need to own into about waiting. The first one is this we all wait. Sometimes for good things, but often for hard things. We all wait. The majority of us in here at this moment, you're waiting for something that is very specific in your mind. You know what it is. 
And the second truth is this about waiting. We all struggle to wait. Can I get an amen? Waiting's not easy. It's hard. We don't enjoy it. We don't do it well. We want it to be done our way in our time. We don't wait well. And so that brings us to the text. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 9, verses 1 and 2. Paul does his normal address, and he's talking to a group in Corinth, these followers of Jesus, many of whom, most of whom, have come out of pagan worship of gods and goddesses. And in that narrative, the story of the world really had no meaning. Now they've come to put their faith in Jesus Christ, repented of their sins, and turned towards him, towards King Jesus. And now the story has meaning. It has meaning in the here and now, and God's story has meaning in the future, that when Jesus arose from the dead, that God is ushering in a new creation. Something is beginning to happen, and that's the story that they now find themselves in. And it says in verse 3, May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Some of you just need to hear that verse this morning. May God give you grace and peace. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Verse 7. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that on that day you will be free from all blame when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says and he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's what I want to do this morning, really practical. It's just ask three simple questions of this text as we think about the idea of waiting and as we all are people sitting in the story of waiting. And the first question is this, how? Right? When it comes to waiting for that thing you're waiting for, how we wait. The wording there in verse 7, it says that we eagerly wait. Probably better translated would be patiently wait, which is an oxymoron, right? (laughs) Patiently wait. How many of us actually do that? But that's what they would actually mean that we are, there's this calm assurance as we're waiting for something. The challenge is our norm is not to patiently wait. For some of us in this room, our norm is we want to control everything. Can I get an amen? So when it comes to whatever that situation is in your life, instead of patiently wait, waiting, this calm sort of, uh, okay. God, I I give this to you. Your go-to is control. Do whatever you can to resolve the situation as fast as you can and the way you can. And some of that's good. But we know when it goes to the unhealthy place. Control. Others of us struggle with just wanting to run from it. Right? Right? Whatever it is, it's weighing on you. And you're not about control. That's just not who you are. But you're saying, how do I escape whatever this is? How do I get away from it? I don't want this, God. And here's the reality. We know escapism is not healthy. And often the places we go to escape are very unhealthy. And the control piece 
we really think about it, the control piece is a lot of what we wait for, we have very little control over. A lot of what we wait for, we have very little control over. So what does it mean to patiently wait over something that we can't control? It's that idea in the Bible of, of this peace that passes on all understanding, right? A few years ago, I had this, as a genetic thing, I'd have this stomach surgery. And I remember as they were, pre- about four or five years ago, as they were prepping for the surgery, it was a pretty major surgery. They said, hey, Brad, we're going to have to do one last esophageal scan. And just so you know, if you wake up and there's no holes in your stomach, that means you have esophageal cancer. And by the way, if you have esophageal cancer, you're going to die pretty quick. Um, And I remember hearing that. They didn't prep me for that before. They waited until the day of, and I'm there at the hospital. And I I remember at first this sense of, wow, that's a lot to throw at somebody. But then there really was this place of, this is God's story. I can't control it. I can't change it. I can't run from it. How do we embrace that patiently waiting where there's something different about how we wait, even when we cannot control it? James chapter 5 says this. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. I think when we're able to wait patiently, this how, that God actually begins to do something in us. Here's the challenge. We don't always know how it's going to turn out. I can't tell you how that thing in your life is going to turn out. I can tell you this. God wants to do something in you. And how you wait will define that. John Ortberg, who I love and I encourage you to read anything that he puts out, he says this, Biblically waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. (laughs) That's a bummer. (laughs) Biblically waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. You can almost see the story of Mary in that, right? In her journey with Jesus. That God really is truly, the course of spiritual formation Formation is God wanting to birth something in you. God wanting to do something in you, even when you're waiting for that really, really challenging thing. So how? Second question is this. Who? Who? Who we wait with. I lived for 10 years out in Philadelphia. And uh, those who've ever, has anybody lived in Philly? I think we, we have one one-year-old that lived in Philly. That's awesome. It's a good city. Don't become an Eagles fan, though. I know you, and I know your dad's a Broncos fan, so. But the, uh, out in Philly, they have this amazing, amazing thing that they have figured out. Um, here in the Midwest, the plural of you is what? Let's talk out loud. So if I'm saying you or us, right? And uh, out, out east, they have just added an S to you. <laughs> so use. So if there's a group, you would say use. 
And uh, that'd be great if the Bible at times, when it was a plural you, when it was saying you to a group of people, which is actually what's happening here in verses 3 through 9, that it's a plural reality, that it's the community of faith. We often read these things as just about me. Paul's talking to a community. And in verse 7 he says, you who are eagerly, eagerly waiting for things to be made right because you're in the struggle, you're in the pain, you're waiting for something, you together have everything you need to be there for each other. Part of waiting is letting others wait with you. I don't know about the rest of you, I struggle with this one. Probably more than, than the, everything else in waiting. Maybe it's just a guy thing. Letting others in, in my journey of waiting for something, that's tough. Can I get an amen, guys? I mean, open up, be vulnerable, all those words that we absolutely love, right? But the teaching here in verse 7 is that the community of faith around you, as you're waiting for that thing, you're waiting for whatever it is, part of the journey is to let others in. Because God has equipped them, God has gifted them with things that you need to be there for you, with you, crying with you, praying with you, whatever it is. God has placed around you the right people to be in your life as you wait for that thing you're waiting for. And you can only go through it the way God wants you to go through it if you let them in. So part of the journey is letting others in. That we wait patiently, that we wait as in a different perspective, but we also let others in on the journey of waiting. And then the third question is this. Why? Why? In Corinth, they had come out of traditions and belief systems where there really was no meaning. Like why would, well, Just do whatever you want in the midst of waiting because there's no end to the story. And now they're invited into a new story. There's hope. God actually plans on making all things right again. The part of waiting for whatever it is you're waiting for, I don't care what it is, is knowing that God's ultimate plan is not pain. It's not suffering It's Eden 2.0. It's when God comes back to this place and makes everything right and is with his people again. Romans 8.23 says this. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit with us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Isn't that a great line? They, they know that it's not right. We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We, too, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised. They knew that there was a future reality that was right. It was good. It was renewed. It was recreated. Even in the Old Testament, they got this. Isaiah 40, 30, and 31 says, Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. (laughs) That's how some of us feel. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we wait in a different way. We wait patiently. We wait patiently. A calm assurance that God is God. That God's story is good. We wait together. We do this in community. We let others in. We embrace the journey with people around us. And we do it with hope. Revelation 21 says this. One of my favorite passages in the Bible talking about what we wait for, that future hope. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. The sea was gone. The sea, in the, in the Bible, that word simply represents evil. Evil is gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Listen to this. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. It's coming down. It's coming to this place. And it says this. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home, God's dwelling, is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. It's, it's the second coming. In the first century, they were waiting for the Messiah to come and make this happen. We're now waiting for it, for God to come down and make things fully right again. That's the future hope. And here's what it says. Here's what it looks like. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. We wait with hope, friends. I don't know about you. I, I read that last verse, and every time I read it, I get chills. God's plan for you is not pain, although it may be a season of pain right now. God's ultimate plan for his creation is for it to be renewed, and that's the hope that we wait for. Let's pray. God, we struggle to wait for a lot of reasons. Um, and so God, in this season of Advent, we begin by repenting of how we, in ways, don't believe that you are God by how we wait. We repent, we turn from that. God, we want to be um, people who tell your story by how we wait for you to come again. How we wait in the midst of pain, how we may wait in the midst of struggling relationships, how we wait for a job, how we wait for a child, God, whatever it might be, that you would teach us to be your people in the midst of waiting. In your name we pray, amen.